When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Never, ever, ever call out a narcissist. Never. If you call them out, if you say, hey, listen, I'm falling in love with you, but I'm feeling like you're a narcissist, be prepared for World War X. They will attack you. They'll say, you're the narcissist. How dare you? Because what are you doing? You're stripping away their veneer to their core fragile self. And I can promise you that's one thing they do not want anyone to be talking about or seeing. Hello and welcome to the Not Perfect Podcast. My name is Poppy Jamie, a recovering perfectionist and the founder of award-winning mindfulness app, Happy Not Perfect. Like the app, this show is about hitting pause and taking time to look after our mind and soul. In this series, I explore how we can make life better in 2020. How can we reduce stress, enjoy life, bounce back from setbacks and get in flow? My guests will be sharing their expert advice and I hope you join me on the journey. Our theme music is courtesy of Mindstream. Visit mindstream.com to learn more about how their music and environments help you sleep, relax, focus and move or find their music on any streaming platform. Let's crack on with the show. On today's show, I'm speaking with a global expert on narcissism a topic I've been fascinated by and dying to know more about. Well, you guys are in for a treat. My guest is Dr. Ramani, best-selling author, clinical psychologist, professor of psychology, and a media expert. You may have heard Dr. Ramani share her expertise on narcissistic personality disorder or narcissistic abuse on The Red Table with Jada and Willow Smith, The Today Show, or Good Morning America, amongst many others. Dr. Ramani breaks down narcissism in a way you actually understand. And if you're like me, this episode made me have so many aha moments. It explains behavior that has often felt really unexplainable and we dive into gaslighting and love bombing. We are confronting a topic I think is one of the highest forms of manipulation. And I'm sure everyone has been exposed to it in some way or other. 
Dr. Ramani's books are truly fantastic and I also encourage you to check out her new YouTube channel. It's all going to be in the show notes. I hope you enjoy the show. So what is your favorite quote at the moment? My favorite quote is, it's a roomy quote, and it's, the wound is where the light enters you. And why is that your favorite? That's my favorite because I think so many people look at the battle scars, the pain and the hurts of their lives, and they think it makes them damaged. And I look at those wounds and those battle scars, and I'm like, don't you understand that that's what made you beautiful? That is so lovely to hear. What's a life lesson you've been reminded of recently? I think the life lesson I've been reminded of recently is you can't unring a bell. You can't change the things that have happened in your life. So you have to learn to accept them and derive some form of meaning from the suffering, like Viktor Frankl would say, so you can move forward and not be forever stuck. How do you define happiness? To me, happiness is living a life that is in line with your authentic self. And I think that one of the things I always want people to take away with about authenticity is I think a lot of people throw that word around as a happy word. And it's actually not always happy. Being authentic can actually be quite lonely because people don't always like authentic people. They speak their truth. They live their truth. They're not living the party line. But I think that that is actually where joy is felt. And we assume joy is being at the center of the party and everything's going your way. And like, no, the ability to live without those, those conditions of worth, without people telling you what life, your life is supposed to look like and to live free of that, to me, that is happiness. So to start off simply, you are an expert in talking about narcissism as well as relationships and so many topics. And we're going to dive into that as this interview goes on. But simply put, what is a narcissist and how do you spot one? So a narcissist or a person who has narcissistic traits or qualities is somebody who lacks empathy, is entitled, can be quite grandiose. It can be very arrogant. They're constantly seeking validation and admiration. They do not cope with their own frustration or disappointment very well. And at those times, they lash out at other people. They're very, very sensitive to criticism, but they're also hypocrites because they have no problem dishing it out to other people. They can be very manipulative. They can be very exploitative. They can be very controlling. Um, and it, but all of that stuff, which is pretty icky, surrounds this person who is actually deeply, deeply insecure. All this stuff, the grandiosity, the arrogance, it's just kind of being a not very nice person, surrounds that core insecurity, almost as though it's protecting their fragile ego. Interesting. A listener wrote in, are narcissists' emotions ever genuine? Narcissist emotions are genuine to the degree that it's something they're expressing. So in other words, I think probably where that question writer is coming from is if they're being nice to you, is it genuine niceness? So in other words, when they're angry, trust me, that is real anger. You know, when they're laughing, that might be real happiness for them. Let's say because people are like, oh, I love your house. I love your car. You have such a cool life. And they're just happy as can be that's real happiness for them because they're being validated, right? It might be superficial to us, but they're happy at that moment. The question that I'm guessing this question writer is getting at though, is this idea of if somebody is, your narcissist is saying, I think you're the best thing that ever happened to me. You're amazing. 
people like, but, and then an hour later, they're treating me terribly. Or the while they were saying that they were cheating on me or lying to me, I'll say, you need to put that into narcissism language, which is, you're great, you're amazing, I love you so much, is really, you're great because you validate me. You're amazing because your validation's amazing. And I love your validation. You see what I'm saying? People in relationships with narcissistic individuals are really bringing that person what we call narcissistic supply, which is admiration and validation. So when they're falling in love with someone, a narcissist is falling in love with someone, what they're falling in love with is the validation they're getting from this person. You may just admire this narcissist in a way they love. Tell them they're great. Be completely starstruck and gaga over them. You may uh, like sort of be a little puppy dog following them around. You may be very beautiful. Like, you know, the narcissistic people seek out younger partners, beautiful partners, successful partners. So they're falling in love with you because you guys have this grand life because you're famous or you're really gorgeous. And everyone's like, oh, your girlfriend's so gorgeous. And the narcissist is like, yeah, now they're feeling their validation. So th are their emotions real? They're validated, but that's what they're saying to you. It's about them. It's not about you. A lot of the questions I got were, at what point does someone turn narcissistic? Is it something that, you know, they've developed very young and then it comes up later in life? Or um, why do people become narcissists? So the, the best way to think about this is it's not really about becoming a narcissist. It's a developmental process. Narcissistic personality, it, like any high conflict sort of antagonistic personality, this stuff starts to develop in childhood. And there's a lot of sorts of mechanisms that are suggested. One, which is the small biological piece of it, is something we call temperament. And temperament is sort of how you're born. Like some kids are actually born a little bit more fussy, more intense, almost more anxious. Some kids are, they're just, they're resilient and their mom picks them up and they're soothed and they're easy, okay? Those easy infants often grow into easy adults. Those sort of more wound up kids can turn into more wound up adults, but not, I mean, you can't set a clock by that. What you can set a clock by, though, is the fact that a person's narcissistic personality often starts in early childhood based on things like the consistency, safety, availability, and mirroring of their early caregivers, particularly their parents. So in other words, just because mom and dad or mom and mom or dad and dad are in the house with you doesn't mean that they're available and present. And typically, narcissistic kids will have parents that were either neglectful consistently unavailable, that's the only thing that was consistent, or they will spoil the child, every toy, every device, every holiday, all of that, yet at the same time not be there emotionally for them. It's almost like, you're great, you're, you're winning the soccer prize, so we're all great. And the kid's like, but I'm actually sad, I'm being bullied, but the parents don't want to hear that part of it. And so that combination of things can also be expressed as narcissism in adulthood. This next part is a little harder because I think some listeners will say, well, now I kind of feel guilty. It's not unusual for narcissistic personality, though, to come out of trauma because the child is not having a mirror. And not only do they not have a mirror in their parent, that parent can be abusive. So what that child doesn't learn is to regulate their own emotions. They don't have someone teaching them about empathy. They feel like the world is very unsafe. And not surprisingly, the child feels very insecure. And what do we say is the core of narcissism? It's insecurity. That pattern that often leads people in adulthood, when they hear about a narcissist's life story, they feel guilty. They're like, 
oh, their dad was abusive and their mom wasn't there. I feel terrible being one more person who's unkind to them. So they keep enduring their narcissistic partner's abuse, guilty about their narcissistic partner's childhood. And you can see how that cycle rolls out from there. It makes sense that that trauma led to this adult narcissism, but you can see what a mess it makes in adulthood. Wow, absolutely fascinating. And there was quite a, I would say, an emotive message that we received that said, I'm, I'm in love with a narcissist. Is there anything you can do to help them kind of realize that they're a narcissist? Or what would you advise someone in a relationship with a narcissist they love? Okay, so here, number one, and if your listeners walk away with only one thing today, is never, ever, ever call out a narcissist. Never. Okay. So if you call them out, if you say, Hey, listen, I'm falling in love with you, but I'm feeling like you're a narcissist, be prepared for World War Ten. They will attack you. They'll say, you're the narcissist. How dare you? Because what are you doing? You're stripping away their veneer to their core fragile self. And I can promise you that's one thing they do not want anyone to be talking about or seeing. If you indeed suspect you're in a relationship with a narcissist and you've quote unquote fallen in love with them, I actually think that the person who sent that emotive question in has to do her own or his own deeper dive and say, let, let me put it this way, if they think this person is narcissistic, my guess is in this relationship, they're being invalidated. They're being gaslighted in essence that their reality is being denied. They may be being lied to. They may be manipulated. These things are happening in this relationship, and this person is equating them with love. What that means is going back to your own personal life story and saying, what happened in my life for me to think that these patterns equal love? And that's where we get to the question of something called trauma bonding. When your earliest relationships in life are characterized by invalidation and lack of kindness and inconsistency and rejection and being told you're no good and you, you remain close to that person because they're a parent, you don't have a choice, that creates this association of an abuse, love and neglect, love and worthlessness. So in adulthood, when that theme repeats again, you almost bond to that person on the basis of your old trauma. And just like for your parent, you made justifications for your narcissistic partner as an adult you make justifications. So that requires going into therapy and talking about what was your early life like that would make this feel acceptable. But the fact of the matter is people fall in love with narcissistic individuals all the time. And I'm not going to sit here and say, well, you just got to walk out of there. I think that what becomes critical is realistic expectations and radical acceptance. This is not a Disney princess movie. This is not Beauty and the Beast. You're not going to dance around and love the beast and he's going to turn into a prince. That's not how real life works. You will need to be patient. You will need to accept that this person may not change. You can communicate clearly. And if you face rage and defensiveness from them when you communicate with them, now you know that they're very unlikely to change. You have to have realistic expectations that this relationship is going to be a roller coaster. And if you think, and if you keep justifying their behavior, they're going to keep doing it. That's the reality of this. Not saying you need to leave. We can all love anyone. But if this person is loving this person based on some sort of future they think is going to materialize someday, it could be a very long life of waiting. Ooh, 
yes. In your books, you so elegantly go into this topic in such detail. And there was this one quote that I thought was brilliant. The narcissist is like a bucket with a hole in the bottom. No matter how much you put in, you can never fill it up. Um, the phrase, I never feel like I'm enough, is the mantra of the person in the narcissistic relationship. Yep, that's it. I mean, it's uh, everyone will say, I never feel enough. I'm not thin enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not rich enough, not successful enough, not young enough, not anything enough. The first time you make that utterance, you've got to stop and say, what is happening? That mantra of I am not enough is sadly something that starts in childhood for many people. Mm -hmm. They feel like they have to jump through all these hoops for their parents. Those kinds of early parental relationships that are characterized by phrases like, I'm not enough, leads to a vulnerability that in adulthood, when that I'm not enough dynamic comes up again, it feels familiar. In fact, some people call that familiarity chemistry. Like, oh, we have chemistry. Like, this, is, this is not healthy <laughs> chemistry, but okay, that's chemistry. Yeah. But they feel like it's chemistry and it's the not working through of that was unhealthy in childhood. But there again, something so familiar and almost like, well, a relationship supposed to be work and the excitement that I might finally be enough. Mm. You are enough. You were born enough. Everyone was born enough. We're enough every mm. single day. That's, it's that simple. And so a relationship that keeps people on edge then there's the belief that the relationship becomes almost like something to do. I can, I can fill this person up. I'm going to do everything they ask. I'm going to be the perfect wife, the perfect husband, the mm. perfect girlfriend, boyfriend, partner. I'm going to get everything right. Imagine, imagine now this 30-year-old woman or man is saying this. Now shrink them down to three. I'm going to be the perfect little kid and mommy's going to love me. and they're going to, I'm going to clean my room and I'm going to do it just right. It's those little tiny three-year-old words in the 30-year-old who now may not be trying to please the parent but is trying to please the partner. And that idea that a relationship is about jumping through hoops and filling an unfillable bucket and feeling like you're not enough is very much the landscape of a narcissistic, difficult, toxic relationship. And I can promise you this because I've worked with people who've been in these relationships for 40 and 50 years and they were never enough. How then do you break this pattern of not being enough and be able to stop this kind of, I suppose, addiction that so many of us, and I include myself in this, you know, keep going back to scenarios that confirm those kind of deepest, darkest insecurities. So I think, first of all, you, you, you used a word that's so important to me, which is addiction, because I think that the addictive cycle, what is an addictive cycle? High, 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 crash, 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 crash. I got to have more. I got to have more. High, 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 high crash, 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 right? So it's an up and a down versus a steady line. Healthy relationships are relatively steady lines. But that's not very exciting, is it? Like no one would take a flat roller coaster, right? <laughs> but the up and down is addictive and it feels compelling and it feels familiar and mm. it feels bonded. So number one is to break that cycle and almost start realizing that it's okay for things to kind of always be the same, that the excitement actually was never healthy. And that for some kids, it was that, oh, today's such a good day. Mommy loves me. I'm so great today. And then to, like, it's in the narcissistic relationship. Oh, we had such a good day. This is amazing. And then the next day you're being, you go from idealized to devalued to discarded to suck back in, idealize, devalue, discarded, suck back in. And that kind of back and forth, it's almost like it's a full-time job. So how do you break that cycle? I think that a lot of people forget that most people, I hope all people, but I know it's not all people, but most people have at least one friendship 
where they feel like they're more than enough. That person where you can be sweatpants, no makeup, you know, passed out, drunk, completely sober, perfect, imperfect, it doesn't matter. That person loves you. Ideally, all of us have one person like that, whether it's a friend or a sibling or if you're lucky, it's a parent. If that person can be, if you can think about what happens in that relationship and how you're, you're very best in that. I always want people to say that can happen in an intimate relationship. And it can be that consistent. Like, of course, people are going to argue and all of that. It's not always going to be, oh, you're so perfect. It's more that no matter what I am, I'm enough. It's not about being perfect at all. It's about I'm enough. And since you have that, many of us have that in one place. Again, it's usually a friendship. It can happen. And yet something about the romantic relationship, we still feel like it has to be work. And when I say work, I don't mean the hard work of commitment and compromise and sacrifice. I don't even consider that work. I I consider that a loving place. I'm talking about that kind of, there are places you hear that, but in a narcissistic relationship, everything is conditional. Everything is transactional. If you do this for me, then yes. Remember that one time you did that? that, Now we're going to do everything feels like a negotiation and a back and forth because for a narcissistic individual, they're not very good at intimacy. Intimacy is very superficial for them. So this idea of them seeing someone fully and wholly, no matter what, unconditionally loving them, that's just not in their wheelhouse. So if you want that, you ain't going to get it there. And so the, the, the real struggle becomes finding those places, number one, other relationships. But number two, and this is a big one for women, do something you love. If you have that thing in your life that you do that you love and you hold on tight to it, I can't tell you how many women I know who gave up their careers, who gave up school, who gave up dream jobs for a narcissist because they're like, he's promising me the moon and the stars. He's like, we're going to live in that perfect cottage. We're going to have that perfect life. He said that one day, one day, one day. And any anyone listening to this who's been in a narcissistic relationship will understand what I'm talking about. These relationships are held together by future promises. One day this, and I'm going to change. And yeah, one day I'm going to go into therapy and I'm down the road. Everything is down the road. That phenomenon is called future faking. Mm -hmm. And they fake, they tell you these things that are going to happen and you stay in the relationship for the thing that hasn't happened yet, but it's supposed to happen down the road. And everything is like that. And you start giving up your life on the basis of this unknown, but very exciting seeming future. And now you've given up everything in your life and you're stuck with this person and you don't even feel like you can get out. That's often the landscape of the narcissistic relationship. In all the people that you've spoken to and helped through these relationships, what factors have helped a successful exit from a narcissistic relationship? So some of the things that help a successful exit, number one, the quicker you can get out, the better. I can't tell you, I have interviewed, God, at this point, thousands of people about these relationships, whether they were married 60 years or six months, whether they've been dating a month or they've been in a relationship 20 years, they all said the same thing. I saw the red flags in the first three weeks and I talked myself out of them. I mean, 60 years, as people would say, he was very angry and I just assumed that was because of his family. It may have been, but that rage is something that person lived with for 60 years. So it's the earlier you leave, the easier it is to get out, right? Because you're less invested in it. You just, have, you just have less skin in the game. And so you can get out more easily. The second time you start making lots of excuses for someone in a relationship, that's a huge red flag. 
and to really say, what am I doing here? Why am I making so many excuses here? The second thing to remember is that I do think a person needs a supporter and that somebody you talk to, ideally a therapist who gets what these relationships are like. I'm not talking about the therapist like, well, you've always been a commitment phobe and you are 35 and I know you want to get married and he is there, says so many people who've gotten into narcissistic relationships. You need someone who's willing to help you connect the dots, maybe your own early life issues on why narcissist is so tempting because these can be difficult things to walk through alone because of that gaslighting I talked to you about. People are so confused in these relationships. They need someone to unconfuse them. And if your friends and family don't understand narcissism and narcissistic abuse, they may just say, oh, relationships are just tough. He sounds like he has a stressful job. It sounds like she has a lot going on. Er, no, they're disrespecting you. This is not healthy. So that's another big theme that you, know, you want to pay attention to. I, and I think then beyond that, in terms of getting out, people who've been in for a long time, so we're not talking six months, one year, but maybe five years, 10 years, you live together, you have children together, you, you're married, document things. Sometimes keeping a journal and writing it down can help you feel like you've less insane. So six months, 12 months of reading every day, he only yelled twice today. It's a good day. Or got, you know, was really shady about phone or accused me of this. You're like, what am I doing? People forget over time. You kind of get caught in the day to day. But when you take the time to write it down and you start flipping through the pages or scrolling through the phone or however you keep your journal, having that information accumulate over time can be kind of a real slap across the face for you to say, maybe I do need to go. And that documentation sometimes of saving every text email, everything from that other person may be essential, for example, in a divorce proceeding. That also, if it's a legal kind of a relationship. And then I think it's about realistic expectations and radical acceptance. I keep saying that, but if I, I often say to my clients, if I were to tell you this person is never going to change, how are you going to proceed? So I'm going to say that to everyone on this podcast. If I were to tell you this person is never going to change, how would you proceed? Is this going to work for you? And you know what some people tell me, very frankly? No, this isn't healthy. However, I've grown accustomed to living in this home. I want my kids to have both parents. And so they stay. And you know, I will never judge someone's choice. But thank you for telling me it won't change, because then at least I'll stop blaming myself. We've spoken about gaslighting a bunch, but I actually, I think a lot of people aren't quite familiar with what it is. So if you don't mind explaining what gaslighting is, and obviously on the other hand, what love bombing is, because I feel like that is the kind of the catcher, that kind of the net that draws you in. So let's talk about gaslighting first. So gaslighting, actually, it got its name from a movie that came out in the United States back in the 1940s. But the term gaslighting now, which is used all the time, refers to denying the reality of another person. And that can be done in many ways. Everyone has probably experienced it once. It's when a person says to you, oh, you're being too sensitive, or they say, that never happened. I never said that. You're putting words in my mouth. You have no right to feel that way. You're, there's something wrong with you. You're crazy. All of those things are examples of gaslighting. Because in essence, you might be sharing your reality. For example, you might be crying after an argument, or you might be crying after a partner invalidates you. And the partner will say, you're being too sensitive. They've just told you you have no right to have that emotion. You can't manifest your emotions. That is taking away your reality. Mm. 
So over time, the gaslighted person starts to gaslight themselves. They will feel an emotion, frustration or anger or whatever. And they'll say, maybe I have no right to feel this way or I'm over-exaggerating. And you can see how over time, a person doesn't even know how to feel anymore if they've been gaslighted enough. They stop giving validity to their own feelings. And once you do that, you're kind of off the rails because you no longer know what is real, what is right. Instead of saying, no, I feel sad right now and I'm going to allow that sadness to pass through me. You have no right to judge my emotion. How many people say that to people? They immediately say, maybe they're right. Maybe I am being too sensitive, right? So that's gaslighting. That's gaslighting. So you can see how over time that happens. And there's another phenomenon people don't always realize. Gaslighting just doesn't happen from a narcissist. Gaslighting is not just self-talk. Gaslighting can also happen from people outside your relationship. I call it gaslighting by tribe or gaslighting by society. That's when other people say to you, you know, I think you're being too harsh. Or maybe you aren't trying hard enough. That's when the world is actually doubting what's happening to you. And when that starts happening, you feel really confused. It's like you're in one of those horror films where you feel like there's a big plot. And you're like, I don't, I don't even know to trust my reality anymore. So what do people do? They assume everyone else is right and that they're wrong. Mm. And that's how gaslighting works. It's the ultimate manipulation. The other term you used is love bombing. Love bombing is a term that refers to the idealization and the seduction of the early weeks and months of the narcissistic relationship. Not everybody in a narcissistic relationship is love bombed in the traditional grandiose way, but that's what I'm going to describe first. Yeah. It's a dating relationship like no other. You go on amazing trips. These elaborate dates are organized. You get these gifts. It's good morning, babe. Good morning, princess. Just thinking about you. I can't even get through my work day. I'm thinking about you all the time. Good night, princess. Just thinking. It's, I mean, and people are like, ooh, I'm in a love story. And God forbid the first time you don't respond to good night, princess, where are you? What are you doing? Who are you with? Send me a picture of where you're at. And you're like, okay, this just turned real. But you're thinking, oh, no, they're just saying good night, princess, and I'm not responding. I'm the bad person rather than the fact that that's actually really scary and controlling. But that constant, you know, I want to be with you all the time, you can see how that can lead to isolation. You might say, you know, I have, a, I have a night out with my girls tonight. Why? Why do you need to be with them? I'm crazy about you. I'm falling in love with you. I can't imagine a night away from you. Please, baby, please tonight, because I, I can't stop thinking about you. Can't you just put that off? And before you know it, you haven't seen your friends in three months because you're spending all your time with this person. You've been cut off from your supports and love bombing every single time is followed by devaluation. Once they have you, they're no longer interested in you. If as a child, if you remember fighting with someone with a sibling over a toy, you fought over the toy and once you got the toy, neither of you were interested in it Mm. anymore. The same thing. They're no longer interested when they have you. And so love bombing is almost like a way of trapping you like a butterfly under a glass. They get you and then they're not interested anymore. So it's like a hunt. Now, some people may be listening and saying, well, I didn't have all that grandiose, you know, big nights out and picnics in the park and fabulous holidays. What you might have gotten, though, was intensity. A person, like I said, who wants to be with you all the time who's constantly getting in touch with you. And especially if your last relationship was somebody who was like, would take three days to text you back, this person who's always in touch with you can feel very seductive. So they'll use intensity, maybe not grandiosity, but Mm. intensity as a way of 
photographing you. And other people love bomb through intense, intense, what I call emulation. It's not empathy. They stare deep in your eyes and say, tell me everything about you. I want to know everything. And you're like, oh, that's cool. They want to know about me. Nah, they're getting intel. And then they learn everything about you. And in a matter of months, they'll use it against you. Like, oh, you sound as crazy as your mother. And you're like, oh, I shared that with them because I thought they were wanting to know about me. Nah, they're, they're just gathering weaponry. And it can really feel hurtful because you might make yourself vulnerable and open yourself up to someone. And they use that intensity. And the final form of love bombing is when the person really victimizes themselves to you. Life has never been fair to me. I've never gotten a fair shot. You won't believe the other people always get their promotion. Oh my gosh, my, I've worked so hard and nothing ever goes my way. You feel bad for that person. You may even want to rescue them. And so some people will say, I got sucked into this massive victim story of theirs. And before I knew it, I was giving them money. I was giving mm. them a place to live. I was loaning them my car. I was giving them job connections because I felt so bad for them. That's also a form of love bombing. How do you protect yourself from being able to not be wooed by love bombing because it is so easy to fall for lovely words that we again have been so conditioned by probably Disney or whatever else to kind of really I suppose be flattered by lovely words or kind gestures like is it just a process of kind of ensuring that our self-esteem is intact or what are your thoughts on kind of protecting against this type of behavior? Not all lovely words are narcissists, right? So keep yeah. in mind, like, you know, it's like playing the lottery, right? Every so often the love bombing is actually nice. And <laughs> that's not normal because I'll tell you why. Normal people don't feel the need to be grandiose in the first phase mm. of a relationship. They might say like, hey, you want to just come over to my flat and I'll mm. make some dinner. And they'll say, oh, I, I can't, you know, you might be thinking we can't afford to go there or it's just mm. ordinary. In fact, it almost feels like a friendship mm. that turns into something almost more romantic, right? But the, the issue becomes alongside the love bombing, there's something else happening. Because of all the love bombing, whether it's the victim-y stories, whether it's the big grand gesture, whether it's the beautiful vacation, the flowers coming to your workplace, whatever it may be, there are other looming signs that are growing at the same time. They're very sensitive. You, say, you, you might notice two, three weeks in, you make a comment and say, I love your car. I was thinking of getting the newer version of this. And they're like, what are you trying to say? I drive an old car? Is that what you're trying? You're trying to say I don't have any money? Are you trying to say I'm not successful? And you're like, oh my God, I was just admiring their car. And this just turned into an insult. You, you stop noticing those things. And you say, oh God, this person's so attentive. I'm so insensitive. I should have never said that about their car. And you can see how that becomes mm. step one to walking on eggshells over time. You may miss things like their rage. They may snap at a server in a restaurant. They may get really mad when, it, when a bill comes in that they have to pay. And you'll say, oh, maybe they're just stressed about money rather than thinking that's a really disproportionate reaction mm -hmm. to getting a table that's in the sun. You know, mm -hmm. so these little things are happening. They're, they might show up late a lot and not respect your time and say, oh, no, they're just really busy because it's happening. So the love bombing is blocking. You're so focused on that, you don't see the other. And that's where what the it? love bombing can get really dangerous. Yeah. And how um, do you respond to someone who is gaslighting you? Like what is a way that can kind of diffuse the situation? 
I don't know that you can ever diffuse a gaslighting situation. Well, I think what you've got to do is hold on tight to your reality. Right. If somebody right. says you're being too sensitive, say, I feel angry right now. You have no right to feel angry. I, I don't, nobody has the right to judge anyone's feelings. So I feel angry right now. No, you don't. How dare you? And then they'll deflect and they'll go in a million directions. I tell people that if you're being gaslighted, staying true to yourself, staying calm are probably two of the biggest antidotes. Now, does that mean that the gaslighter is going to stop gaslighting? Absolutely not. They won't stop. You have to hold on tight to your reality. It's almost like you have a little wad of something in your hand, like money, and you're like, I am not letting go of this. This is my bus fare kind of thing. Like, yeah. I am not letting go of this. Once you're being gaslighted and you realize that that's what's happening, you immediately have to say, I see what's You have to say it to yourself, not to them. Okay, I see what's happening. I'm not even going to get into this with them anymore, but I'm being gaslighted. I have to actually make a bigger decision. Do I want to continue this relationship? Mm -hmm. So I think that people so quickly... And this is a big issue in narcissistic relationships. People spend a lot of time in narcissistic relationships defending themselves and explaining themselves. No, no, no. Let me explain my point of view. The narcissist isn't listening. They don't mm. care. They have their point of view. They're not mm. empathic. They don't care. So you keep explaining and explaining and explaining and it gets really, really, you know, exhausting. And mm. you keep getting gaslighted. So when you're being gaslighted, you have to remind yourself there's no such thing as being too sensitive. You are feeling what you're feeling. And that's that. And then if somebody says, well, you cry every time we get into an argument, they cry every time. That's, that's their response. And if anything, you can be empathic with it. But that's if somebody's going to judge you for that, that may not be your relationship. But instead, people are more quick to judge themselves and gaslight themselves. So hold on to your reality and don't expect that they're going to see it. What three questions do you think everybody or do you encourage everybody to ask themselves in any sort of relationship? Number one, do I feel safe? And do I feel safe and can I share and be vulnerable? And when I feel say safe, I don't mean like, do I feel like is the person going to physically uh, aggress against me? I don't just mean that. I really mean like, do I feel like I could share something vulnerable, intimate, important, and that relationship will be received with safety? and will be received with kindness. That's number one. Number two, when I speak, is the other person actually listening to me? Now listen, yeah, are we all ever distracted from time to time? We are, but even at the time they're distracted, are they able to say, I am so sorry, sweetheart, I'm rushing out the door right now, but what you're saying is important. Could we either wait, I'll ring you from the phone because I don't want to miss this. So that's a respectful way of a person saying, I got to go and mm -hmm. saying, but acknowledging what you're saying is important. So do you feel heard? Do you feel seen? Do you feel respected? That's number two. And then I would say that around number three, do you feel that this person is someone who's on the same page as you with values and empathy and compassion and how you view other people. And I really mean compassion. I mean that they are kind to other people. Anyone who doesn't value kindness is probably not listening to this podcast. But do you have those shared values? And I don't mean values about religion and politics. I mean around humanity, you know, about how people should be treated and how, how people deserve to be treated. And those kinds of values for other people, are they elitist? Are they entitled? How do they treat other people? Those things matter. You know, watch how somebody treats others. And in that, that's going to give you a decent sense 
of at least what their vocabulary is. Here's the confusing thing about a narcissist, though, is they're very good at putting on a public show, the, the, the great, most generous person to everyone else. And then the minute you're behind closed doors with them, it's insult and sullenness and anger and rage. And people say, I don't understand. They were like the life of the party. And now we're home and they're treating me so badly. Everyone thinks they're honorable. You find out they're cheating on you. That two-facedness is what's so unsettling about narcissists. But because they're so superficial, they're able to put on all these masks. It's as though they have a massive closet of masks that they're able to put on and take off at will. What would you say are the most common problems out of all the letters you get? Which are the kind of most common themes? Feeling guilty about wanting to get out of a relationship where somebody's treating them badly, but they feel like, well, that person's also been through a lot, so I have no right to want to leave. So the guilt is a big one. The second is confusion. I don't understand what's happening here. Like, I love this person. They're treating me really badly. I can't make sense of this. And then the third is, in a world full of narcissists, am I really going to be able to meet someone good? That third question is fascinating. And obviously, one of your books really addresses the fact that there's more narcissists than ever. Why do you Mm -hmm. think that is the case? I think that what's happening is that, number one, social media has not helped, okay? Because when we really think about it, what is social media designed to do? Yes, share information and all that, but it's also really designed to get validation. And that is, and that has sort of led to this sort of widespread focus on material success. Look at my new dress, look at my new bag, look at where I'm on my holiday and all of that. Look at what I'm doing that you're not doing. It's very competitive. It's very dominance oriented. It's very comparison oriented. And that really is what the narcissists are best at. So they're really getting their moment in the sun you can really see that it's quite superficial. And when it comes to superficial, the narcissists are always going to win the race. How many people say, you know, I met someone who really doesn't have a lot of money and is not super handsome, but is absolutely the kindest person I've ever met in my life. And they don't have an Instagram. People are going to say, what? Why? Or what are you doing? I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is probably going to last like 60 years. And they're going to, and oh, and they support my career and they love what I do and they understand I have to travel a lot. And they're, they're really good with that. They want me to succeed. And they are, and they're not victims. They just really are authentic and love what they do. And you're like, what? But if you say, I met this guy and he has this new startup and it's worth millions of dollars (laughs) and he drives a Tesla and he has a flat in the best part of town and he's taking me to Italy, everyone's like, marry him. They don't ask, is he empathic or compassionate or kind? They They look at the bio. They look at the sort of resume. That's the biggest mistake people make. Right. And it's funny because there's a lot of those kind of manifesting workshops that go on and they're like, okay, write down everything you want. And it's amazing to me how, you know, it's like, they've got to have a nice car, they've got to have a house. And like, it's really strange that what inverted commas manifesting kind of industry has kind of led people to in a way. The manifesting industry is why I have a job. (laughs) Because I'm sorry, but what they will do is they'll go in and say, I want the person with the car and the job and the trust fund and the this, and I want them to be compassionate. I don't know that this person exists, right? And I mean, sure, there's people out there who have nice cars or are nice people. I'm not saying course, to anyone right. driving a nice yes. car, of course, you're lovely. Yes. But you know what I'm saying? Like the manifesting is very, by and large, material. There's a vision of this extraordinarily handsome man or beautiful woman. Nobody manifests an average looking partner. <laughs> right. 
And I think there's a real danger in that. And I will tell you, I work with a lot of clients who go to manifesting workshops and they engage in that magical thinking and saying, no, it's a sign. It's all been signs. And I'm saying sign. Gaslighting is a sign. Mm. Hypocrisy is a sign. Mm. Rage is a sign. Don't give me this magical hooey about I manifested this person and then rationalize their abuse on the basis of this so-called manifestation. It definitely is becoming a more scarier place because, you know, when you are vulnerable, it's so easy to, you know, look at something that looks shiny and it's going to sort out your problems. And this is why you've workshops also in line. And I really suggest people check them out because Mm -hmm. you are really teaching people about building healthier relationships that are long lasting and are real. And I think that was what kind of made all your work resonate to me so much is you just don't bullshit which is to be honest quite rare these days when there's so much content out there about relationships and it's difficult to know where to go i because i spend so much time helping people through the landscape of narcissistic relationships although every single story is so different what is shocking to me is how similar they are Mm. that the, the entitlement and arrogance and rage do in any relationship leaves the person on the other side always feeling the same confused and full of self-doubt and anxious and fearful and feeling like they're not enough and I mean it's always the same it doesn't matter and so when you add into what we were just talking about we were saying it a little bit jokingly but I mean it seriously is that people really are socialized to choose a a successful person as their partner and listen I, I success is great at hard work discipline ambition but sadly too often they overlook things like kindness compassion respect, all of those things that really are the things that make a long-term relationship click and are much, much more important than the resume. You want to see how this person operates under conditions of disappointment and stress, not how they behave when they're on the beach with a cocktail. That's not interesting to me. I want to see what happens when the rubber meets the road and when things really go down. And when they, if they can't behave gracefully then, then that's going to educate you about what late nights with diapers are going to look like, about what happens if one of you gets sick, what happens if one of you gets laid off or if there's a pandemic. And so that's, when the, that's the real measure of a person, not an, a great night out on the town. And yet in our Instagram world, you really aren't going to post those kinds. It's hard to post about kindness and respect. It's really easy to post about a flashy night out. And that's yeah. the struggle. Yeah. The, the last question, um, which everyone always wants to know, what piece of advice would you love to have given your younger self? I'm going to use another quote and then I'll build upon that. I would say, if you care what other people think, you will forever be their prisoner. And that's a quote by Lao Tzu. I'd say, stop caring what other people think. You go do you. And even whatever it is, if it means that you want to go live in some other odd place, great. If you want to pursue a certain course of study, do it. If you want to wait to get married, great. If you don't want to get married, that's great too. There's no pressure. There's no age. You don't have to give in. Just stop living your life in the service of others. Many people turn around at 50, 60, 70 and say, gosh, my entire life, was something I just did for other people. Trust me on this, nobody's going to line up and say, hey, thanks for sacrificing your life for us. You've really got to give yourself. We're at a time in history where more people, especially women, can live in line with the things that they value for themselves. Turn down the volume on the voices around you and start really listening to yourself. Dr. Romani, it was just, God, I really just can't thank you enough 
I'm, I'm so appreciative. And one thing I want to steer people to, if they want content on narcissism, go to my YouTube, just okay. put in Dr. Romani and nar- the word narcissism. And you will get literally hundreds of episodes on anything you've ever wanted to know about narcissism. And we put out multiple videos a week. So it really, and it's increasingly a crowdsourced channel now. So if a person says, could you do a video on such and such? I will research it and then I will present that topic. So, you know, I tell people that this is this one, this one's for everyone, you know, so it really is, please feel free. Okay, so if anyone has a question, I will be putting um, your details, your Instagram, your website in the show notes mm-hmm. and your YouTube channel. And so if people want to just submit a question, is it best to DM you on Instagram or like what's the best way to ask questions? They can DM on Instagram. They can go to my website and they'll see that there's an email portal that they can use there. And if they watch a YouTube video and they put it in the comments, we try to study those comments and also you know see them there as well. So there's okay. different ways they can get it to us, yeah. that's it for today thank you for listening of course it would be amazing and very appreciated if you wouldn't mind hitting subscribe and sharing this podcast you can find me at poppy jamie on instagram dm me questions or any guest suggestions i'd love to hear from you and also if you have a moment download happy not perfect it's my mindfulness app that helps you manage stress anxiety sleep and ultimately makes you feel happier every single day in less than five minutes. See you next time, sending you lots of love and energy till then. Hold up, what was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.